Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and ask them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us what is the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. Ms. Lindsay Corradino, one of our undergraduate majors, is our researcher. And I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and the originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today, I have with me Jim Geralt. Jim was elected to serve in the Lubbock City Council as the District 4 representative in June 2012. He's originally from Missouri, Missouri, right? I'm doing that correctly. I lived in Kansas, so we always pronounce it Missouri just to stick it to the Missourians. But uh, I know. Where he attended college and met his wife, Judy. Jim and Judy have been married for over 40 years and are proud parents of two daughters and one son, and they have 10, count them, 10 grandchildren. And two more on the way. Two more on the way. Wow. All right. In 1972, Jim Jim earned a Bachelor of Arts with a double major in psychology and Christianity. That's a very interesting combination. We'll ask you about that. From Southwest Baptist College. And three years later, you completed graduate work at Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary and graduated with a Master of Divinity. In addition to your service to the church, you have also experienced in sales and professional communication and maintained your position as part of a consultant for the Maximo Group, a company that focuses on communication service and employee benefits. You are currently the executive pastor at the Bacon Heights Baptist Baptist Church in Lubbock. Now, do you prefer to be called councilman, pastor, or councilman, pastor, or pastor, councilman? I think I prefer Jim. I like that. Actually, I'm a James. Grew up as a Jimmy. Had to leave Central Missouri to be able to leave the Jimmy behind, but I go by Jim. And after we get to talking, why I kind of reveal a little bit more of myself, but I'm just Jim. When they find out that you're a politician and a pastor, two professions that uh, have different reputations in this, in this country, uh, which do they are they more curious about, or the, they're curious about the combination? Uh, more curious about the combination, usually. And it depends upon their background. You know, if they're people of faith, they want to talk about me being a pastor. If they're not people of faith, they want to talk about being a, being a councilman, and then they want to know why he is a preacher in politics. That, do you get a lot of Bible questions from strangers? You do, yeah. What's your number one Bible question? Number one, well, I don't know that I could do a number one. It, it really goes back to whatever they're going through at the moment. So you pick a you pick an experience that the people are having, and then they want to ask a question about that. Now, your first song that you listed for us is Amazing Grace, uh, which we've heard before in the, this program. Sure. It's probably, it obviously is, was written as a religious song, but it's become so part of co- American culture that you hear it in many other contexts. Uh, uh, it's, it's all. It's certainly a very favorite funeral song as well. What does Amazing Grace mean to you? you know, Amazing Grace really has almost become the national anthem of the Christian community. And in, as you said, it, it's, it's been picked up by, by non-Christians to use it as well. Of course, the, the grace is the big thing. As a child of God and a very imperfect child of God, uh, realizing I'd be in a world of hurt it was if it wasn't for God's grace. That's one of the big things. But then behind it also, the fact that John Newton was a slave trader and came under conviction that that was an evil trade and walked away from that. Uh, when, you, when you do a little study on the life of John Newton, I think the song even has more value. It has more meaning for you when you realize what a transition was made in his life. And as one who benefited from slave trade to one who fought it, 
who fought it very strongly. That, that's a big message. And, and that's one of the reasons why Amazing Grace is one of my top 10. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I had heard for years about the story of, of this man who was a slave trader and basically had been doing evil for most of his life. Right. Suddenly mm-hmm. realized that was evil and decided to turn his life around. But I didn't hear as much about the story of, of how he tried to make up for it by opposing it in the future. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm not going to deal drugs anymore, but it's another thing to say, okay, I'm going to try to stop people who are selling sure. drugs to children and actually do something active. Well, I think that's just a just a testimony to how, how much his life was changed to, to really taking a strong stand against it. And I think the song was written partially as a, as a battle cry. And my life has been changed. And oh, I got to tell you this, when my wife and I were dating, we'd sit in church together and we'd sing that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet, the song that saved a wretch like me well she'd always poke me when we get that part and say save the rights like you you know there's a famous cartoon from the new yorker i, I saw a couple of years ago which showed moses uh, holding the ten commandments up on the mountain talking to the israelites and he's saying you know thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife are you hearing me ira and there's one person in the crowd who's like startled you know uh, and you wonder whether you know some things are general and some things were more specific at, at, yes. at the time when you talk to people about grace and that's it's it's a doctrine that um, probably is more mysterious to to people than any other in in Christianity. Do you couple that with the idea it's not just a question of, again, stopping doing something, of asking for forgiveness, but that there's some actions you must take as well in your life? Grace means that I don't have to do anything to, to hang on to it. Grace is, wow, God has done something for me that I don't deserve. There's nothing I can do to pay him back for it. But I think as a result of what God has done for me, through grace, there ought to be some kind of change in my life, or else it, it, it doesn't seem that I've really accepted the grace that he's given to me. So I think a changed life is a natural outgrowth, not a demand, but I think it's a natural outgrowth of someone who has experienced God's grace. Now, I'm Jewish, my wife is Christian, I've ended up going to a lot of really interesting churches and, and listen to church. I love the older music. I can't stand modern Christian rock. I don't know, I just, there's something, just there's a block there. When, when in, in your church, and now, you're executive pastor, which means that you're not actively... 
pastor. I'm not the preaching pastor. I preach on occasion. I'm the administrative pastor. I'm the COO of the corporation. So you're you're the guy behind the guy. Right. Right. And and do you have multiple services there with some with different music? We do. Our 915 service is what I call more traditional. It's not straight traditional, but it's more traditional. And then our 1045 is we call it a little more contemporary. It's really more of a modern traditional. So we, we have a little bit different styles. What's for modern we, traditional? Uh, we sing a lot of the hymns, but we put some upbeat to them. Uh, we'll sing some of the, you know, once a song comes into play at first, it's new and it's contemporary. And then after it's been around for four, five, six, seven years, uh, it's lost its edge a little bit. And there are newer stuff that comes along that are a little more edgy. But we do some of the things that have been around for a little while and that have almost become a mainstream, part of the mainstream Christian movement now. And I call that more more modern traditional. Now, did you first uh, notice the association between uh, church and music early in your life? I mean, a lot of a lot of guests on our show talk about the musical taste of their parents. You know, maybe their mother was singing while working at home, or they, they were, they, our, our younger listeners have to understand it once upon a time before iPads, that families got around and maybe played a piano together or listened to records together, all together, the same songs. I know it's shocking to our 18-year-old listeners that this, this occurred, but where was music in the place in your home? I was going to church before I knew my own name or could count the one. I went to church in utero, and my mom played the piano at the Baptist church. So that was a part of who I was. I mean, my earliest memory are in church and we're singing the hymns. We had an old upright piano at home. I was out of tune and mom wasn't playing as much a little bit later in life, but she would often sit down and play the piano. And so, yeah, that's been a part of who we are. Now you got, you have to understand, I grew up on a farm in central Missouri and there was only one radio station that really was available. And one of the songs I've got on here, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so it was very, uh, not bluegrassy. It was more hick music than anything else. And so that's what I was exposed to on the radio. So you had a radio, but there was only one station that was listening. Really yeah. only one. Now, yeah. late at night. I had to go to, when I was a kid, I went to bed at 8 o'clock. People don't understand that. Because it got dark. Well, it got dark, <laughs> but also I had to get up early the next morning that's to do right. chores. Yeah. So I got to be, when I got, got a little bit older, I got to stay up till 9 and then finally till 10. Gee whiz, imagine that. But I remember a time or two when I was sick. I think I had scarlet fever one time. And so they put the piano or the radio by my bed. They'd be out doing chores and I'd tune it around and I could maybe bring in one other station. But late at night, you could get a, a, you could get a station out of Arkansas on occasion. But there just, there just were not that many choices that you got on a little tube radio without an antenna. Did your home have a TV set? We did. I remember when we got the first TV. Of course, it's black and white. And back in those days, they would try to make it color. So they put a film over the top of it. And the top of the film was tinted blue. And the bottom of it was tinted green. Blue being for the sky and the green being for grass. So that was our first exposure to, to TV. But yeah, I remember we got our first television. Did you watch any musical programs on TV? I don't know. I remember there were programs. And we're talking about the 60s, I guess. Uh, 50s. Know, I think yeah, we got our first yeah. first TV in 1956. There, there were shows like Sing Along with Mitch and uh, musical I'm sure there were. My, my folks, I don't think we ever watched Sing Along with Mitch. When uh, Lawrence Welk came along, my folks kind of liked Lawrence Welk. So that, was, that, that tells you a little bit about my age and some of the, the things that my folks enjoyed. We have a mix of listeners, you know, of older folks like uh, me and you, but also uh, young folks. And so they're going to have to look up some of these things in Wikipedia, Lawrence Welk. <laughs> Lawrence Welk was sort of the uh, the run DMZ of his era. Let's go say that. Okay. Get, get the, kid, get the kids in, interested uh, uh, in that. So when you went to church, you, you heard the hymns there, and then you heard the sort of hillbilly or sure. <laughs> bluegrass on the radio. Uh, when you went to college, did you 
start hearing different kinds of music? Oh, definitely so. I remember my first year at college, uh, someone had taken the tune of House of the Rising Sun and sang Amazing Grace to that. And my jaw just dropped open. Wow, I didn't know you could do that to hymns. And so that was an entirely different <laughs> different rendition of Amazing Grace. Your, your next song is Shout to the Lord by Darlene Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's right. And this is also a very, very popular uh, song. She was in, uh, Darlene was a, an Australian Pentecostal Christian worship leader. Still yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a modern song. It is modern. It's, it's got a few years under it. Yeah. Um, song Church out of Australia. You wouldn't think of Australia as being the focal point for Christian music, but Hillsong Church out of Australia has, has just been amazing on the music that they have produced. And this one means means so much to me because with there was an experience within just a few months of each other in which this song was used in two different settings. I did a, I did a wedding for one of the young women, and she chose that as her bridal march. And I thought, well, that's that's really neat, setting the tone for what our what our marriage is going to be. And then a few months later, the niece of my daughter-in-law, 17 years old, passed away. Um, boy, that was a that was a heartbreaking story. Watching watching her struggle with leukemia and was getting blood transfusions. And then toward the end of her of her life, she was getting blood tra- one blood transfusion after another one. And finally, she just said, asked the doctor, "What would happen if I wouldn't get any more blood transfusions?" And he said, "Well, you'll you'll bleed to death." She said, well, will that be painful? He said, no, you'll just go to sleep and not wake up. And she said, that's my choice. So as it was getting close to the end, she climbed up in her, in her dad's lap, and he held her while, she, while her life slipped away from her. Well, at her funeral, this was at, at Olton, and because she was 17, missed everything in Olton, there wasn't a church in town that would hold her funeral, so they had it at the high school auditorium. And they, they shut down school early and had it there, and one of the young women sang this song at her funeral. And so that song just has so much meaning to me because from, from the beginning of a married life, ending of a life, it really speaks again about our faith. It almost became the next national anthem of the Christian community for a while. Next song is The Dance by Garth Brooks, and uh, 
you say in your notes that you sent to me that it's one that also is associated with, unfortunately, a terrible tragedy that occurred in, in a funeral. When I was in Tulsa pastoring, one of the young men in our church went to Oklahoma State to visit his sister. They were on a weekend, I think, and they went boot scooting that night. And before he headed back to Tulsa, he danced with his sister, and that was a song they danced to. And there's some there's some mystery surrounding what happened, why he was went off the road. Uh, some think he got into kind of a scuffle with some of the folks at the at the dance, and they followed him, forced him off the road. Bottom line was his car went off the road, overturned, and he and he died. The family asked me to do the funeral, and I agreed to it. And then they they wanted to play this song. Well, that is a tough tough song. To deal with at a funeral and so we played that but then I insisted that we come back with a song of hope after that so when this song played I said that's a very sad song for a very sad occasion but we want to focus on hope and so we came back with something like Amazing Grace or something else to, to offer hope and then this uh, this song reappeared in my on my radar at Jay Leno's last show when Garth Brooks was his guest and the last thing they did on the Tonight Show was to sing The Dance and I just had a flashback to that to that time in Tulsa and the grief of that family dealing with the loss of their 21-year-old son. Looking back All the memory of The dance we shared Beneath the stars above For a moment All the world was right How could I have known that you'd ever say goodbye And now I'm glad I didn't know The way it all would end The way it all would go Our lives are better left to chance I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to when you are asked by uh, a young couple to officiate at their wedding or obviously to also to be a pastor at a funeral, do you talk to the family about the, the music they select or they tell you or is it any part of the conversation? I try to have part of the conversation. If the young couple have come from the church, raised up, then it's much it's much easier to talk about the, the music they're going to select. Uh, the music that the young folks are choosing today, it's it's all over the place on some of the songs that they select. Do you ever say, like, no, I'm not going to officiate if you're going to play that song? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was one time I said, that's over the line. I, I can't do that. What but by and large, do you remember what the song was? Uh, no, I don't. Was it Chris Brown? <laughs> I don't remember. I really don't. Uh, for the most part, I recognize that it's their day, and it wants to reflect their their taste and some of it is just a matter of preference uh, some of it I think would be offensive and uh, no I, I don't want to be associated with that but for the most part I just try and encourage them on some things that they might choose make some suggestions and they do what they want to do funerals well uh, there's another song down here that's associated with the funeral I'll talk about that when we get to it do you have a, a particular verse from the Bible that you use at weddings that you think is particularly appropriate for sending a young couple off to their their big adventure together in life well, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, that's that's a big one. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it talks about your spiritual sacrifice of worship. And it talks about, uh, do, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's so many pressures that are coming in from, from society that tend to pull, pull marriages apart. 
And so I really, I really try and instruct them in the importance of being conformed to the image of, of marriage that Christ has laid out for us. And that's the one where you, you really, you consider the other one more important than yourself, and you really yield to the, uh, to the other one. If both do that, then it works beautifully. And I love to talk about marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And it's not a 50-50 contract, it's a 100%. I give everything to you regardless of what you give to me. I have a friend who's also a pastor, and he was telling me that in his church he feels now that young couples have never been under so much strain of marriage keeping the marriage together. There's so many other forces, sure. whether it's uh, the free, avail- easy availability of pornography, all, drugs, alcohol, all the temptations that, that, that have always existed in our society, but are just because of the internet, because of, I guess you could say, a certain laxness of, of society are just more available and more intrusive than, than ever. W- would you say that that's correct? I think that there is a lot of pressure from society on marriages. I wouldn't disagree with, with I don't guess, anything that, that you just said. And I think what's being represented on and so much of the media as well uh, is really taking away from, from the traditional view of what marriage is. And it's amazing how many folks I'll, I'll talk with, just, just information, just gathering. Well, how long have you been married? Well, we've been married two. We've been together seven, but we've been married two. We decided to get married after our second child was born. You know, that's, that's really contrary to what our, what our society has been over, well, you go back uh, just a few couple decades. Um, marriage came first and then the production of children. Uh, marriage came first before the cohabitation, and our our culture has really said, nah, that's old school. We're going to go new school, and you don't have to be married to to be intimate with one another. And I think studies are showing that that really does not help a marriage succeed. It's really detrimental to a marriage long term. If you will be unfaithful to me before we're married, why will you be un Why would you be faithful to me after we're married? Is some of the fears that get get placed in people's minds. Your next song, On the Wings of a Snow White Dove by Ferlin Husky. And, and I think actually this is one that is associated with weddings too. I've seen it uh, used then. And this, of course, the, the dove is, is a frequent uh, inhabitant of the Bible. Sure. Uh, a, a bird that had uh, a great deal of symbolism. Today we associate the, the, the white dove with peace. But then there's the story uh, from uh, Noah. Uh, the, of the dove uh, signifying the rebirth of of the world. Sure. When, when you talk about symbolism in the scriptures, you know we're talking about a period covering thousands and thousands of years. Do you think that sometimes something that was a symbol for you know maybe two thousand four thousand years ago, and then is used again a thousand years later, did the meaning change, or or is there? Do you think there's a continuity in what a a fig tree or a dove or or a, an apple means? I think the meaning probably changes over time unless there's a great emphasis placed upon the original meaning behind that. The, the dove, you're right, it's used for peace. In fact, one of the local funeral homes, as a part of their graveside service, will release two white doves. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, do, been, do, they, do they come back afterwards? I mean, are the same doves and they're trained? I'm just, they're trained, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, wow, they, that's pretty amazing, yeah. Oh, we, we did a, a burial for a young woman last summer. Nor, I've forgotten exactly where the burial was now. It was on the other side of Plainview. It was kind of a windy day. 
and they released the doves, and the doves had to circle around to get their bearings, and then to find the white wind, wind you know, the wind stream for them. So they actually circled the, the cemetery once or twice before they took off. That was a beautiful moment. It, it really was. And there's something very, I think, peaceful about it, watching those doves and being released. So many symbols come into play. One that my family does is going to seem strange to some folks, I guess. But in, um, we'll be coming up on 12 years ago now, my, my son and daughter-in-law gave birth to twins. And it was a problem pregnancy. And the morning after they were born, one of them passed away. And we did a funeral for him. In fact, I did it. And that was the toughest funeral I've ever done in my life. On the first anniversary of Riley's death, as a family, we met together. This was down in Crane, Texas. And we all got balloons. And we went out to the backyard. And at a not any significant moment, just when we decided we would do it, we released those balloons. And I thought, well, here we are in West Texas. The wind's just going to hit them. They're going to go sideways. But it didn't. There were about five balloons going up at one time, and I got looking, and there was just one single little cloud in the sky. Well, those all five balloons went to that one cloud, and I kept watching, and only one of them emerged from the cloud that we could see. Now, that's going to seem kind of hokey. I understand that. But it was a, it was a symbolism, reminder to us, of releasing Riley's soul to be to be with the Lord. So that's, that's kind of comforting. So a lot of the symbols come in and provide comfort. The doves do as well. Kind of funny, on the wings of a snow white dove, I put that on that because I hated that song for so many years. Oh. I told you I grew up in, a, in an area with one radio station. On Sunday mornings, being, being a farmer, uh, we'd get out and do the chores, and then we'd come in, and one of us would hit the shower, and the other would do something else. And there was a local radio station. The owner liked to do a Sunday morning radio show, which he pretended to be his grandfather, and he put on this hokey accent, and he almost had the same playlist every week. And inev- inevitably, we would come in the time that this song came on, and it was done by local performers, and they were twangy, and they didn't sing on the wings of a snow white dove. They sang on the wings of a snow white dove. And so that, that one is why it's on my list is because it takes me back in memory to my childhood. On the wings of a snow white dove, he sends his pure sweet love. A sign from above, on the wings of a dove, when troubles surround. When evils come, the body grows weak, the spirit grows numb. When these things beset us, he doesn't forget us. He sends down his love on the wings of a dove. You've talked a lot, oh, Pastor, about funerals, and, and you certainly see tragedy in your life, and you, you get to talk to people up close. People, I mean, all of us have maybe some tra- one or two tragedies in our family, sure. but you get to see tragedy after tragedy in many families, including the death of young people, which is always uh, uh, extremely dif- difficult. I remember reading about Mother Teresa that uh, in a biography of her that she actually lost her faith I, I don't know how many decades ago it was but there was some some part she 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 had some great challenge and she she felt she had to go through the work anyway 
but had not her her fate her her belief had really just uh, faded. I mean, I'm 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 making a very complex um, situation very simple. But do you find yourself in situations where where you ask questions that there are no answers to? It? I was listening to a pastor on the radio a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was sort of like answering questions from the Bible. Sure. And he made a, an interesting comment. I forgot the, what the question was, but the comment was very was revealing. He said sometimes God opens the door a crack, but not all the way, and that we'll find out the full answer later. Do you think that some of the questions that people have, we're only going to find out later in the next life? I think that's definitely true. And I, I can understand the struggle. When I was pastoring in Tulsa, there was a local funeral home that would that would give away burials for families who'd lost their lost their babies. And I'd let the let the funeral home know that I was available to help with, with funerals and especially on on children and and i don't have a fee for doing funerals so if a family lost a baby they could have a funeral and there's a funeral home out of broken arrow who would provide the burial spot so the word got out in the community that if you lost a baby go to graveside services funeral home and you can get your child buried for free well i was out there doing another baby service and i i started counting and i i realized i had i had buried 25 of those babies within a short period of time. And I, I, I told the funeral, don't, don't call me for a while. I, I just can't do this. I just can't do this anymore. First funeral I did for a baby occurred after my, my firstborn was about six weeks old. And this baby died as a result of a botched surgery. And the night before the surgery, I went into the funeral home and I, I got alone in the casket with that little baby. And I just wept. I just wept. There are some things that are just tough, tough, tough to deal with. That's where that's where your faith comes in. I don't understand some of the things that happened. I can't tell you why my granddaughter died and why one of them died and the other one survived. I, I can't answer that. I just trust God to take care of us. And it, it seemed like, I guess, a simple faith to some people's mind. But I've just learned over a period of time. And that's one of the advantages of being 64 years of age. As, as you watch and you struggle through some things, and then later you come back and go, well, I didn't see it at the time, but I see now that God's hand was working here. And so that's where, where the faith comes through. Your next song is Raindrops Keep Falling My, My Head. That's sort of a change of pace here. Change of pace. <laughs> Probably no. not a funeral song, I hope. Uh, no. Uh, now, Raindrops Keep Falling My Head, you said that this is the song that you were thinking about before marriage. Uh, you'd heard it. Was this you and your wife's signature song? We got married in the summer of 1970, and I think that's when Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, that movie came out, and she was living about 40 miles away, and I was working at home, and mom and dad, boy, back in those days, you didn't make long-distance calls, and you didn't travel if you didn't have to, so I got one phone call a week to see her or to talk to her, and then I got to go one trip a week to see her the summer before we got married. So we were both working some really long hours, and we went to the drive-in to watch Butch Casting the Sundance Kid. And, of course, that was one of the signature songs in that movie, and we both fell asleep during the movie. You know, it was kind of one of those funny things. But that just takes me back to to the to my courtship time and uh, the, when Judy and I were dating and the summer we got married. So that, that has a lot of emotional attachment to it just because it reminds me of that summer when we were anticipating the marriage and just so, in, so and still are so in love with each other. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling 
song is another religious song, I assume. It is Well With My Soul by Horatio Spafford. And Spafford was uh, also, I, I guess, is there some parallel here to uh, to Newton in the sense that he was a very successful lawyer, but he, he lost his money? He became the, broke? The, the Chicago Fire wiped out all of his savings. Okay. Very successful man. Very successful. Chicago Fire came, wiped out his wiped out everything. He started rebuilding. His family decided to take a trip to, I think it was England, and he couldn't go with him. So he put his wife and kids on a ship, sent them off, promising to follow as soon as possible. Somewhere out over the ocean, there was a collision between two ships, and the ship his wife and children were on went down, and he lost his kids. His wife survived. Of course, back in the 1800s, they didn't have modern communication methods like we do. When she finally got to England, she sent a telegraph back, said, uh, all lost, only survivor. What do I do? He sent a telegram, I'll be there. So as soon as he could, he booked a passage, and he talked to the captain of the ship and said, please let me know when we get to the site where the ship went down. So the knock came on his cabin door, I think in the middle of the night, as the story goes, and he got out and was walking on the deck at the spot where he lost his children. And in that night, while he's there walking on the deck, thinking about his loss, he basically wrote the lyrics to this song. And it's one that I I love to have played at, at funerals. It's one I want played at my funeral when it comes in there. And it really describes how no matter no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're personally experiencing, when you have a relationship with the Lord, it can be well with your soul. And this song communicates that truth so clearly. When he's like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my Lord thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let Your next song is Bill Gaither 
because he lives. Bill Gaither, yes. Yeah, Gaither. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said here that uh, this was associated with the birth of your second child? Yes. Yeah. The song in itself just elicits emotion for me. Some, some other folks might hear it and just go, that's just a song. But it, it really is attached to me. Uh, my second child was born when I was pastoring in western Oklahoma. My wife awakened me early on a Sunday morning and said, Jim, I think this is the day. Well, when you're the pastor of a small church in a remote west Oklahoma town, you don't have an abundance of preachers that you can call at the last minute and say, hey, can you come preach for me today? So my adrenaline kicked in real, real quickly. As soon as it was a decent hour, I started making some phone calls and got someone lined up to come and preach for me. And then uh, dropped Angela, our firstborn, off at church with some friends who would take care of her. I took Judy to the hospital, and, and our baby was born at 1250 that, uh, right after lunch. That night at church, I didn't go, of course. Obviously, I was with my wife and new baby. But the church sang that song. And then my next Sunday back, they sang that song, too. And one of the lyrics is, How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he brings. And so that just, it just really hits me. I'm one of those guys, I can get emotional about a lot of things. But my children is one of them that really gets to me. How sweet to hold a newborn baby And feel the pride and the joy that he gives song is why don't you love me like you used to by hank williams now now hank williams uh i'm sure he must have recorded religious songs i'm not i'm not a big hank williams expert but he is much more associated with uh the the more uh well-known country genre of the down and out love lost my truck crashed my dog died type of song which is often seen as of the same um, family of songs as blue as uh, church music and bluegrass, but but not the same themes necessarily. What uh, drew you to Hank Williams? Another funeral, believe it or not. Years ago, I got a phone call. Family asked me if I'd go visit their their dad, bounty hunter, and I talked with him. And he, and he made a conversion experience. They asked me to do the funeral. They said, we'll take care of the music. Okay. So I did the funeral. I'm standing by the casket as the family comes by. Well, they've arranged these songs. Well, one of them they come up with is, why don't you love me like you used to do? And I've kind of got a warped sense of humor. And I'm standing out there by the casket thinking, you think maybe it's because he's dead? He can't love you like he used to do? Well, a lot of people looking around at that song and, and, you know, shrugging and raising their eyebrows. Well, there's a little lady in the audience that just started blurting out, it's what he wanted. It's what he wanted. 
she just kept doing that. So it was just kind of one of those bizarre funerals. You know, there's so many things that, that occurred at that funeral. But every time I, I hear that song, I, I go back to standing at the casket. And, and why don't you love me like you used to? It's all right, he wanted. So that's one of those weird, weird things, Dr. Perlmutter, that's, that's, that's in my memory. Well, why don't you love me like you used to do? How come you treat me like a worn out shoe? My hair's still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? Ain't had no loving like a hugging and a kissing and a long, long while. We don't get nearer, further, closer than a country mile. Why don't you spark me like you used to do? And say sweet nothings like you used to coo. I'm the same old trouble that you've always been through. So why don't you love me like you used to do? funerals do you think you've done in here 265 you keep track mm-hmm. now and do you you said that you stopped doing babies was that for a while or it was or, for a while yeah mm-hmm. but for somebody who's a one of your congregants you would still oh absolutely sure yeah. not being the senior pastor i don't do nearly as many funerals they they want the senior pastor to do most of the funerals i've done a, a, i've done a few the last few years but there was there was a period of time when i was senior pastor did a bunch of weddings a bunch of bunch of funerals we in tulsa we had a real active singles department we had had a hard time keeping it going because they <laughs> they would come they'd meet get married and so kept depleting our singles but i did a lot of weddings a lot of funerals in tulsa uh when i was senior pastor at indiana avenue baptist church here in lubbock we had a college university pastor and he did more of the weddings than i did because he was more closely connected to the university students younger congregation you don't have as many funerals either so that's kind of slowed down for me you you were talking about a conversion experience when you're talking to people about faith is it usually somebody starts the conversation and wants to hear more i can't believe i get to talk about this on the texas tech radio show it's it's pretty amazing we have freedom of speech here Uh, we do i love that (laughs) i believe the spirit of god begins to work in everybody's life and as people begin to respond to the Spirit of God, I believe God provides people in their path to be able to talk with them or books or Bibles or whatever it might be. And there have been a number of times in my life when I've been in, when God has arranged it for me to be in position to talk with someone who is at the point where they're asking questions and they want to know. A lot of times, just the fact that I'm a pastor, hey, can I ask you something? So that, that, that opens the door to a lot of conversations. On the, I mentioned the bounty hunter. He was, he's knocking on death's door. And that's when you really start asking the questions, man, what's beyond this world? What's life really all about? So they become very open then to talk to pastors. And so when I shared with him, you know, was it real or not? I'm not the judge. I was just trying to be faithful to what I believe I needed to do. I explained to him the steps to admit you're a sinner, believe that Christ can save you, and he's the only one who can save you, and choose to follow him. That's, that's what I believe. I believe that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what he chose to do. So it's, it's usually a process in which God is working in somebody's life, and, and sometimes I get to be there to help them make that decision. But that's interesting. You were saying that 
you don't actually know, and of course you can't, whether somebody's completely sincere. It's somebody, obviously, another another power sure. is judging at some point the sincerity of, of someone's soul at that point. Do you do you think that uh, the timing of of a conversion experience, I mean, there are obviously people who are facing death and, you know, they find religion, and that's sort of a, 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 a stereotype. Are, are you, I, I hate to use the word suspicious, but do you, do you work a little harder to make sure that somebody's sincere at that point and not just covering their bets? You always want to make sure that they understand what's involved. Funny thing, I was on a mission trip to Argentina back in 1987. Went to the end of the world, a little place called Bente de Septiembre, the 20th of September. We went to the end of the highway, then we drove on paved roads till we ran out of that, and then we came to a fence, and we had to take the fence down and drove across the pasture. And here was a settlement, uh, a grove of trees and a bunch of mud huts underneath it. And they'd wanted us to come out and talk to them about Jesus. So we did, set up, talked, and I asked, who'd like to make this decision? There were 20 of them there, 17 raised their hands. Oh, no, you don't understand. So I tried to talk them out of it, almost, because I thought, okay, this is, this is too easy. You're responding to, so I came back at them three times and tried to make sure, and I couldn't dissuade them. So I led them in a prayer, but we came back. We said we'd be back three days later. They gathered every day in the meantime, just in case we came back without letting them know. So that's an interesting thing to see happen. It, it really, really is. Another interesting thing, I got to go to Latvia in 1991. That's right after the fall of the Soviet Union. We went in there about six months after Latvia broke away from the Soviet Union. And they told us, you're not going to get anybody to sign anything. We took some, we took some pamphlets in that had basically our story, our testimony, uh, translated into the Latvian language, had some steps. On, on making a commitment to Christ. And they said, well, don't, and then you sign it. And they said, don't expect anybody to sign that. We started going around knocking on doors and asking for permission. And well, as soon as they heard that Americans were in town talking about Jesus, we got all kinds of invitations. And we go to the factory. They shut down the factory and they'd bring us in. And I got to stand where the Communist Party officials used to stand and read Marx and Lenin. And I got to preach Jesus Christ. Well, 317 people signed a document that said, we believe that Jesus, we choose to follow him. And that's one of those things you go, wow, they've learned not to sign things because in the Soviet, under the Soviet days, you didn't sign anything because that would get you in trouble. So you, you, I got to watch the hand of God at work in, in that situation. And, and that was a phenomenal experience for me. And I, I, they sent me some pictures later of some of them who, who followed up and were baptized. Two of them were former Communist Party officials who said, we realize this is hollow and empty, and it's not worth it, and we want something else. And they chose to follow Christ. Your next song or, or music is Canon in D by Peshabel. Paclabel. Boy, you know, I should know that. I'm, I'm embarrassed, but I always let our guest tell me. Uh, oh, you're just trying to make me look smart. Thank you. And it's, well, that's it's, a hard thing to do. It's very easy. You are, you're a very thoughtful, uh, very intelligent man, so I appreciate uh, you coming here. And we haven't even talked. Uh, see, now the whole thing, now we can point that out because we've talked all about faith and not about being a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked you about my LPL bill yet. <laughs> probably, probably that's the t- number two question you get after uh, faith is, is why is my water bill so so high did you do you look in the bible for the answer to that one or? <laughs> i can explain your water bill i can explain your lpnl bill what, what does canon and d mean to you you know that's a hard thing for me to answer i think because i grew up with so much what i call hick music not country music country music i enjoy well i bet brad paisley his song i'm still a guy i love that song and i didn't put it on here 
it. But but Brad had one out several years ago that had it actually had a video to it. I think was the, the lyrics of "Twice a Man." I didn't he didn't have to be. And it's a story about a guy who this boy had been abandoned by his father, and so his mom was raising him. She dates him by they come home see the boy, and they turn around and leave because they didn't want to have anything to do with the woman who had a child. And then this man came into their life and not just interested in his mother, but interested in him as well. A moving, moving video that comes in there. And the punchline into it, he was twice the man he didn't have to be. So much of country music carries such a strong message. Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying. I love that song. I love country music, but so much of what I grew up with was was hick music, where they just really twanged it to death, and it sounds almost hokey. And then all of a sudden, I heard the canon and deep by Paco Bell, and it's almost like soothing the savage beast. I just heard that and I just go, wow, listen to that. Just the strings and the flowing of it and the soothingness. And of course, that's been used for bridal marches for a lot of weddings and a lot of graduations. And so that's one of those songs that I hear that I think it lowers my blood pressure. I think it slows my heartbeat down. It just goes, wow, listen to the beauty of that. That's excellence. I mean, Cannon just, or Paco Bell just came in and did some beautiful writing in, in, in that music, beautiful composing.
And your last song, uh, another change of pace, Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. How can you not like that song? I mean, it's got everything in it. It's got the beat. It's got the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun building you up. And uh, it's just one of those songs that I, I just, why would you not love it? That's that's the whole thing. It was ranked 222 in top 500 songs, rock and roll of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. I, I, I do think it's probably one of those songs that even our students might recognize. They've, they've Or they've heard some versions of it sure. since then. Roy Orbison had such a good, uh, a pretty voice, and he had so much range in there also. And then always the question, is he blind or is he not? You know, he always had those dark sunglasses on, and you never saw him walking around. So there's a certain amount of mystery, I think, that was associated to him whenever I would see him. Of course, bear in mind, again, I... <laughs> Growing up with one radio station, and when all of a sudden you start hearing a different genre of music and, and some quality music come into play, so all of a sudden you're enticed by so many things that you hear. But this one, I just love the way it sounds. Now, we've spent most of the time talking about your role as a, a pastor, but you are also – do you accept the term politician, or do you say want to say public servant or councilman? <laughs> or, yeah. I, I hate to look at myself as a politician. I, I feel like I'm more of a public servant. Uh, you decided at some point uh, to run for office. Though. I did. Now, this councilman position was the first and only office you've run. That's correct. Office, you know? Yes, that's correct. And you don't you don't file. It's not partisan politics. You don't file as a Democrat or Republican. You file as a candidate. So there's not a primary and there's not – I mean, it's an election that comes into play. It's one of the purest forms of public service that I can that I can think of. Because you're not attached to a political party, and, and I'm not opposed to political parties. I'm, I'm, I have a political party uh, that I'm very, very much attached to. When you think about your congressmen or your senators, they're, they're a little more detached. The, the, the state, I mean, our U.S. senators, you may meet them once or twice in your lifetime. But, but most folks are not going to have an opportunity to sit down and visit with, with our U.S. senators or with our congressmen. And even our state representatives, the state senator, they're a little more detached. But, but your council member, they're the ones that you, you can get a hold of. I'm, I'm neighbors to, my, to the folks in my, in, in my district. I'm very, very accessible. And really, when you think about it, the, the, the local government, that's the one that's going to impact you a lot. That's where your, your city taxes come into play. You mentioned LPNL, uh, making sure electricity is being provided. You mentioned water, making sure water is being provided. And by the way, I mentioned that because I'm one of those crazy people that actually likes to watch city council meetings on television. I oh, probably doesn't have heart. very high, high ratings. But first, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how talk about Roy Orbison I think I see a connection there that you guys have to keep your emotions in check no matter what somebody is sure. saying somebody can get up there and they could start ranting about you know you're all corrupt or they could start saying you know this is terrible what the council is doing but you have to say well thank you for sharing your opinion with us ma'am and and, and move on so this is sort of Roy Orbison um, uh, stiff stiffness there uh, uh, in the positive sense of, sure. of not mm-hmm. uh, breaking down and, and start yelling <laughs> at, at a constituent and that's, that's tough. One of the things we've done is, is change we're doing, the way we're doing the citizens' comments because we have the very thing you're talking about. When people would just show up and, and sign up and start talking, by law, if the top, topic they're talking about is not posted, we can't address them. And, and we would give them a platform, and some of them would come in, and they would just spew out stuff that was so wrong, so false. We had such an 
Thank you. Well, people who don't know how the rules are look and they say, well, look at it. The council's not disagreeing with it, so what they're saying must be true. So they've changed it now that if you want to speak first at the beginning of the thing, you, you sign up 72 hours in advance and tell us what you're going to talk about, and then we can talk to you. And we've been able to correct some of the false statements that are being made, uh, hopefully not in an antagonistic way, but just say, well, thank you for sharing, but here's the rest of the story come into play. And if you want to come in and talk about anything random, then you wait to the end, and we put a disclaimer on there. This is the, the opinion of the speaker only. So the people can start kind of understand that we're not responding or our, our lack of response doesn't mean we agree with it or it's accurate. It's just we can't respond to it. So yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes. But Roy Orbison is an inspiration. He is an inspiration. That's right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Pastor and Councilman, and, and you wear both roles very well, and I think uh, Lubbock is well served in by you in both your capacities. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. I, I'm so proud of Texas Tech and what y'all are doing, and man, I'm a big advocate for Texas Tech, and I'm glad that I can be on the council and try and work with, bring the town and gown together even more. I think some, I think Tech's best days are still ahead of us. I think Lubbock's best days are still ahead of us, and I'm excited that I get to be involved in helping to make this happen maybe a little bit. Pretty woman walking down the street the kind I like to meet, pretty woman. I don't believe you, you're not the truth. No one could look as good as you. Mercy. Pretty woman, won't you pardon me, pretty woman? I couldn't help but see, pretty woman. I'll go on home, it's late There'll be tomorrow